0: Whispering, whispering, whispering. whispering strength. And here is Betty Davis. Hello.
1: It's tough to be an unsuccessful author, especially an unsuccessful young author. When the story on which Con Webster had been working for months, a story that had been practically ordered from an outline, came back with the traditional rejection slip, Con touched bottom. The story had been written to buy a few pieces of furniture for an apartment. Con was walking down a dark street, mentally as well as actually, one evening, when he heard his name spoken by a familiar voice. He was under a lamp post. He glanced
0: up, and his face brightened. That's a true news. Well, this is a surprise. What are you doing in town? I'm here with see publisher, Ursula. A oh, publisher? Yeah. Of course, I've been giving him crime and applied psychology has taught the public interest, and I've been asked to write a book. Mm. Some people have all the luck. Well, the quality of New Doorsworth still has disturbed me. He was planning to be a professional writer when he graduated from college last June, you showed promise of being a very big too. Breaking the head of the English department, used to very hard with your work. He showed me your graduation thesis. It was a superb the of time. Yeah, that thesis gave me big ideas. I was going to set the world on fire with my brilliant prose, but, yeah, uh, I got nowhere. Are you going to a textbook, sir? No, no, not a textbook. The idiotic editor, the one with whom I've been talking all last noon, wants me to treat the subject of crime and applied psychology in a popular and amusing fashion. But to my mind, there's nothing either popular or amusing about crime and applied psychology. Here yeah, I see what you mean, sir. Now, uh, take juvenile belief, for instance. They're neither popular nor amusing, but... What's good? I just had a big doing. That's just trying to bring you into it. that my hotel with me. I'll be here, and have a cup of coffee. your coffee? I'll explain the idea.
1: So the middle-aged man and the young one walked back to the hotel, and the professor was stopping. But when they were seated at a small
0: table in the corner of the coffee shop,
1: the professor asked a question, and Khan answered it frankly.
0: Yes, sir, I am down in the mob. Things have been going badly for me. I haven't sold a thing since I graduated from college my small backlog of money is not in the way until it's not even a drop in a very large bucket. Is there a reason in the place? Yes, sir. I'm desperately in love, but I can't finance a marriage unless I sell something darn fast. The girl's father's well to do, and he's trying to keep us apart. Well, sir, she's going to lose him unless I get some gold mighty really quick. Anyhow, this idea of if you uh, 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 my boy, I'll put it I'll put it on the line. How would you like to write my book? You write a book that you assign? sign? You be uh, a ghostwriter? Yeah. Yes. Of course, I realize it's dishonest to take credit for another man's work, but my back's against the wall. My back's against the wall, too. Yeah. Ghostwriting is not dishonest, sir. It's done every day. Well, then, I'll myself with you say that I realized it would be unfair for you. The book must necessarily carry my name and you'll we'll get no credit whatsoever. I won't tell the publisher or we'll even tell my wife that I've employed an outsider to do this job for me. I can only comfort you by saying that scientific books seldom have a big sale. You being ghost. I I'm too, well, conceited to relish the idea. But I'd rather be your ghost than... than stranger, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a very long book. I'll show you my correspondence to the publisher, and you can use your own judgment as far as wordage is concerned. I'll give you my notes. You pay for the typing, the midnight oil you may be forced to burn. Uh, what did you want for this writing about Weston? I mean, uh, what monetary consideration? Mm, heck, I wouldn't want to ask. You mm, pay a uh, $500 for the actual job, and it's cut on the liability. Yeah. I'll give you $250 at once. The other two fifty, when the completed manuscript is in my hands. Oh, yeah, no, it is. You certainly are saving my bacon, sir. Will you excuse me while I go through my girl and tell her the good news? In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first, this might sound a little confusing at first, but if you've heard of the library having been woven well, you may credit the United States Officer's Wives Club formerly at Wheelis Air Base, who were inventing the idea. The women got interested in a school for some 300 homeless boys under the jurisdiction of the Libyan government. The school had needed teachers and had precious little in the way of essential educational aids. The fact they didn't have a library started the wheels of progress in motion. The officer's wives club could easily have raised a fund for books. but members decided this wasn't the sensible thing to do under the circumstances. The boys were just learning to read and write and it would take a while before they could use a library and realize its value. So instead of books, the club bought the school in wool and a supply of yarn. The plan called for the boys to ride how to weave barricade, the soft cloth used by native women to make dresses, and a popular fabric with Westerners who managed to visit Libya. Proceeds from initial sales of the material were invested in more yarn until a sizable stock existed. Then the school diverted the profits for books. Not only did the boys help earn their own library, but they also got vocational training in reading. One of the runners of the club was asked how they happened to hit on this particular idea. She replied, it just evolved. Elaborating a bit, she explained that the members of the club thought it was a good step toward getting Libya's future citizens to recognize the fact that Americans wished them well and that they were willing to do what they could to meet their immediate needs. Finally, she added, we can do with more knowing in North Africa these days. Thus, yes, these homeless boys of Libya can hold their heads up and be proud they had the chance to own their own library and keep it going with a loan and a supply of yarn. These United States officers' wives gave us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. To our story with Ben Davis.
1: Professor Tremont lost his guilt feeling as he watched Conrad Webster's expression change from despair to incredulous delight. That very night, he handed over his notes and Conrad went to work. A month later, he presented the finished manuscript to the professor, who forwarded it post haste to the publisher. He'd almost forgotten the incident until he received ten complimentary copies when the boot came off the set. He made them on his desk, but three days later, and he sat at the luncheon table with his wife. Oh, I'll get it, dear. I wish people would call either
2: before or after meals. <coughs> this is the Tremont residence. Yes, Professor Hoyt Tremont lives here. Who's me, Hoyt Tremont? you want to set up an interview? Oh, I spoke about his experimental crime laboratory time. Oh, the book. No, we didn't see the reviews on Sunday. We, we went for a long drive. The professor isn't very much interested in newspapers. Reviews, are am asking. Hoy? Hoy, the man wants to interview you about that book. You know?
0: Why did you want to interview me about the book?
2: I suppose he likes it. He's very it got a marvelous review. I haven't read it myself, of course, but I shall. When may the reporters see you, dear? Hmm, certainly, I suppose. I'm not anything else. what time shall I
0: say? Four o'clock, if it's convenient.
2: the professor says four o'clock, will that be convenient? Yes, I'll tell the professor. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> You said you were the first man to make science bearable and entertaining. You said your satirical thinking humor was superb. I didn't realize you were such a two-faced old thing, darling. You gave it to me so deadly as with me. Sometimes you'd scare me. Oh, I... I, I
0: feel like a fool when I'm being interviewed. Like an imposter.
2: You know, Mr. Jacob and Dr. Tremont. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, dearie, right? but I love But I'm really glad you have a superfluous sense of humor. You
1: While Professor Tremont was being interviewed by the reporter, the lecture bureau called and asked him to sign a contract for a series of informal talks at women's clubs. The fee they offered was unbelievably large. But Hoyt
0: hung up the receiver testily and turned back to the reporter. They're all after you, huh? Thanks, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I wouldn't know why. <laughs> You've read your own book, you? Or do you dictate by ear and in the dark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay, you, I'm to <laughs> That sly sense of humor. Well, you get some sort of an award for the job. I'll take bets on it. Now, uh, how long did the writing of your book take, sir? A month. One month to produce a literary gem? That's utterly amazing, unconfounded. No, I, I didn't mean that I could. Took... Now, listen here. I don't want any credit for this book. It's just one of those things. It grew out of a neutral need. Well, I'm afraid you can't help taking credit, sir. The new business is quite extraordinary, sir, if you don't mind my saying so. It's uh, unique and refreshing. Now, uh, tell me something about your life in the university, sir, about your classes. Hmm, I'd be glad to do That's my little, uh, I believe I'll say that, uh, teaching's your vocation, Professor, but, uh, writing's your Mm -hmm. allocation. Oh, that's all right. And I wish you didn't have to interview me at all. It's inevitable, Professor Fremont. Your modesty's only equaled by your sense of humor, sir, and that sense of humor is certainly plowed under. Uh, If I hadn't read your book, I I wouldn't believe that you had one. I haven't seen you smile since I came into this room. Mm -hmm.
1: Professor Freeman hadn't a smile in him. His conscience was as painful as an ulcerated tooth. He was taking credit for something that was not the product of his brain. All he supplied, as far as the book was concerned, were his notes. His wife remarked on his silence that night at dinner. And the next night, was oh, the pastor of the church wanted to speak to the
2: man's club of about the barracks. I read it today, dear, when you were out. I couldn't put it down. It's fascinating. I didn't know you had it in your mind.
0: Oh, for heaven's sake, Martha, don't plague me about that horrible book.
2: It's so horrible. It has charm and suspense. Be harsh, Martha, for my sake. It's all right for you to be hungry, darling, but I think you're carrying the book too far, and you smart at me. Well,.
0: The of the tell him I can't talk to his dance club. Uh, I'm i getting ready for the fall semester.
2: Oh, darling,
0: you You're not getting ready at all.
2: It isn't August yet, and college will look until late in September. Well, <laughs> oh, my mother, Violet, I'll sit for you this time, but I won't promise to do it again. What? Yeah.
1: opened, and in the classroom, Professor Tremont noticed a new respect in the eyes of his students as they brought him copies of the book to the autographed. At the faculty club, he was in for more than his share of Indian's killing. A literary weekly published his picture and the story of his to quiet life. A certain book guild made his thin volumes the choice of the month, and his honor piled on honor Professor Tremont could see with his mind's eye the face of the very young man who'd written the book. He told himself that he'd given Conrad Webster the entire royalty check, but that he knew was not enough. He grew silent and morose, and one morning, when his wife was opening the mail, "He these letters, darling, since your
2: book came out. You you're never going to write another one.
0: I'll never write another book as long as I live so healthy.
2: You well, at least there's pleasant thing to work there when you speak to me after all. I'm not your publisher. I'm your wife. Oh, my goodness. The Writers League is giving a dinner for you. But you're in the best of honor. They say your book is the most outstanding contribution.
0: Where's well, the dinner? But didn't you know anything about it, mid-air? Oh, uh, that's sort of a phone call, but I was preoccupied. So I said yes, as usual. I didn't realize what I was getting in for. I, I won't go to the dinner, Martha.
2: You mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. I won't go. Let me just my ticket. The deuce with the book.
2: Why?
0: You wouldn't sweetheart me if you knew the truth. Interviews, autographs, stories in magazines, newspapers, reprints, lectures, dinners. I'm fed to the teeth. I can't talk anymore. And at the end of my tether, I tell you. I can't understand your
2: attitude. I should think you'd be the proudest punch to have written a bestseller.
0: I didn't write it.
2: Darling, do you feel quite well? Your eyes have a cool glazed look.
0: The goose with my eyes have a glazed look. This is the first moment of the mental letdown I've had since that book came off the press. Telling the truth is always a release. I not only didn't write it, I didn't even read it. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. We often read that a candidate for the presidency of the United States is stumping the nation during his campaigning. But do you know how the expression originated? Actually, it was born during the early days of the West, when candidates for public office went out looking for votes. In order to be seen and heard by the crowds of people who gathered, the candidate was forced to stand on some kind of platform, And what was handier in the backwoods areas than the stump of a fallen tree. From this early open-air type of campaigning, Stumping has come to mean any kind of campaigning where a candidate travels around the country to meet the people face-to-face. Through this method of campaigning, another page was added to your political history. And now back to our story with Betty Gale. Hoyt
1: Tremont's wife was staring at him. Her face had gone suddenly pale. Obviously, she thought that she was in the presence of a madman. And the madman was her own husband. She moistened her lips and spoke in an odd,
0: shaky voice.
1: But, my dear, you aren't making sense.
0: I am making sense. As I told you I'm completely sane for the first time in months. Martha, I didn't write that book. But if you didn't write it, who did? I employed a ghostwriter.
2: A ghostwriter?
0: Oh, you hurt me, Martha. Don't be so dense. man only wrote the book was a young fellow who graduated from college in June. His name is Conrad Webster.
2: I remember Conrad Webster. He came to the table he gave for the thing with planned. That's right. He looked so eager. He at God. He talked about writing a bestseller one day.
0: Well, don't tell me what he looked like. I know how he looks. I see his face in front of me constantly. And don't tell me what he said of that blasted tea. His voice is ringing in my ears every hour of the day and night. It haunts me. He's written his bestseller, and it bears my signature. He's a ghostwriter, I believe me. He's like Banco's ghost.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Naturally. Did you ever hear of any other Banco? Darling. Oh,
2: darling, I'm so very sorry. I didn't dream for one moment that you was...
0: sheep. Well, no, you're not alone. Nobody did. Nobody does. That's why I'm being haunted. I'll get huge loyalty checks. I'll endorse them and turn them over to Young Webster. But giving his money isn't enough. You mm. know what? You know Now what shall I do, Martin? What in heaven's name shall I do? Anything
2: is anything you can do. It's a wonder the game, peace of mind. Oh, stop bringing your hand, It's as if you're washing me without and water, like mud like, my like, again.
1: The day of the dinner, Professor Tremont called the young reporter who had been the first to interview him and asked him to come to the party if he wanted a beat. The reporter did want a beat. And so he met Professor Tremont in the lobby of the hotel where the dinner was being given. Professor Tremont introduced him to a tall young man in an obviously new tuxedo. The reporter sat at the table directly in front of the speaker's table. The young man seated himself nervously at the professor's right. And when the dinner was over and the Toastmaster had introduced the guest of honor, Professor
0: Tremont rose calmly in his place. Now please, 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 not, not quite so much applause yet. I, I'll ask for it later. You're honoring me tonight for a fine book. I'll say it's a fine book, and thank heaven your modesty's slipping. <laughs> <laughs> now, please, please, not just yet. I, I've only started. I can say that the book is a fine book with no sense of conceit, for I didn't write it. Why? Wow. No, the book was written from my notes by a ghost who I'm happy to say is very much alive is seated here beside me. I give you Conrad Webster, the real author of a real bestseller. He's the one who deserves your applause, not I. Well, I've had my say. Your turn, Conrad Webster, take it from here. But you he heard me, say now take it from here. Well, I uh, I don't know what to say except that, that Professor Tremont let me do the job of ghosting so that I could earn enough money to get married. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, my wife is sitting with the professor's wife down front. She's the girl in pink uh, beside the woman in gray. They, uh, both crying. And if I were a woman, I'd be crying too. I, uh, don't know what else to say except that Professor Hoyt Fremont is a wonderful man. And without his incredible notes, there wouldn't have been a book. In... But it's this is a very great occasion. And it came as another surprise. I, I can't say anything more. Well, I can. The story will be in my paper tomorrow morning. And you're a grand guy, Professor. You're top. <laughs>
1: shame the devil. The devil gets too much encouragement from liars. A man like Professor Hoyt Fremont sets him back quite a bit. Art Franklin, the reporter who interviewed Professor Fremont, was something of a student of human nature, and his judgment about people was almost 100% perfect. But once, he slipped up.
0: to tell you more about Art Franklin.
1: No person in the world is entirely foolproof. And that was true of Art Franklin, the reporter. His one mistake in judgment very nearly cost him much more than his job. Until then, this is Benny Davis saying goodbye from the whispering throat.
0: This program was written by Marguerite E. Featured in the cast were Peggy Webber, Ralph Moody, Jack Moyles, and Frank Gerstle. Whispering Speech was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Law. Your announcer is George Wolf.